welcome, one and all, to Discovery, Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, ahoy, Pete. Boy, me up. You know what I'm saying? Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, featuring Lower Decks for episode 107, Much Ado About Boimler, comes to you now via malleable protein bonds. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Pete, the fleet ready to be renamed, which is to say it's official, CBS All Access, getting not just behind-the-scenes fixer-uppers to make, you know, the apps on par with the basic streaming apps out there, but also, in 2021, a new name. Yes, Paramount Plus. Where have you heard that idea before? (laughs) Pete, you don't sound thrilled. Now I'm confused here. Okay, Apple TV Plus has Apple in it the name of the famous company that all the kids have these days, what with their phones and their ear things. Disney Plus, my goodness, Pete, perhaps the best-loved corporate brand in the world. And then Paramount, you know, the brand that kids associate these days, what with (laughs) the Indiana Jones and UPN. You remember UPN? I do. Nowhere Man starring the guy. Oh, it's UPN. It's Paramount. Yeah. Uh... Massive yawn. I guess this is the big remake. I mean, real talk, the the thing that grabbed my attention the most, there's a Godfather series coming to Paramount Plus. I saw Paramount Plus and that announcement first, and then later in the day saw that CBS All Access will become Paramount Plus. And I was like, all right, thank goodness we'll already have Paramount Plus so I can now watch this godfather series when it if it comes together and i think the godfather series if i am correct and i could be wrong it's like a scripted dramatic series about the making of the godfather so it's like you know a behind the scenes kind of people versus oj simpson kind of sort of thing i think i have that correct but um i know there was some serious um critical finger wagging not major but you know like a proper website not you know guy in underwear on twitter basically saying the joke that i repackaged at the top which is they're going with paramount plus and paramount does not have any resonance with a more modern audience in terms of you know the the vaunted movie studio uh the way apple the way uh the way disney uh does etc Hey, whatever. Uh, I did see, I think it was the same article, and this is me, this is not me throwing rocks. This was genuinely something I read that there was the internal decision that they needed to rename because the name CBS carries with it such an old, like an older skewing audience connotation that they thought that the name CBS All Access was turning off younger people. And, and yeah, like you say, that, that Paramount, you know, is such a popular brand uh, with with what they're trying to attract. Whatever. At the end of the day, the quality of the content put on it is going to determine its ultimate success. We can all agree that the rebranding was needed. Let's hope more than a name, Matt. Perhaps the interface gets better. Uh, full disclosure, since Lower Decks has been on, I think I've only had one technical difficulty so that is absolutely an improvement but uh yeah um we we have come a long way from the moving target of what time will discovery show up on a thursday night to now the uniform it is up on a on a thursday morning as soon as as you're up i've been watching um lower decks episodes in the five o'clock, six a.m. hour East Coast, uh, let, let's hope that that all stays the same and continues to work. Staying in the Star Trek fleet of the family, if you will, uh, with the uh, with some of the technical Emmys already having been handed out as we record this, uh, a win for Star Trek Picard, which has the award for outstanding prosthetic makeup. For a series, limited series, movie, or special, uh, that for the episode Absolute Candor, that 
for a whole bunch of Romulan noggins. So, uh, Pete, I know some of the naysayers, you know, oh, it won't win more than one. Uh, hey, good job on winning an Emmy for makeup. That That's that's there's there's no downside here there's no sarcasm there's no it's too dark it's it it, that's great absolutely well earned i know the campaigns obviously were you know really well done and consistent so let's hope it's the first of some more and uh over on our pop culture podcast if that's where you're listening to things or over on our mandalorian podcast both uh, we, of course, in a couple days, we'll be talking about other Emmy wins for The Mandalorian. Uh, we'll see how the uh, how it fares uh, at the primetime Emmy Awards, uh, which will be recorded, uh, pardon me, which will be aired tomorrow. Uh, similar for Watchmen, which we've podcasted as well. So, Pete, if nothing else, Fantastic Geek running around in the land where there's Emmy gold being handed out for the shows that we podcast. Yeah, Mando off to a really, really good start there. Watchmen, the uh, leading Emmy nominee. Uh, See if it can bring home that best dramatic series. And uh, yeah, we'll bring that all to you in this coming week, along with some Marvel news. With that, let's head into the Ready Rundown. Program complete. Enter when ready. Tendies made a dog. You know, genetics. It's just like an Earther dog, except it's rather beastly, but friendly. The ship's top-level brass are on a secret plant-planting mission, opening the door for a visiting captain. A subcap, as the cool kids say. Boimler is ready to suck up to the new brass and helps Rutherford with his transporter efficiency experiments. It leaves Boim's shimmering, both visually and audibly. He ends up in sickbay, where Dr. Ta'ana has no ideas but Rutherford at least stops the shimmering sound. Boimler is being sent to Division 14. D14 handles medical oddities and science mysteries. He'll be shipped to the farm, an idyllic rejuvenation station. The USS Osler arrives to take Boimler and the dog, named the dog. The medical specialist is Edosian. That's the species of Arix from the animated series. The medical ship seems to be filled with scary castoffs and headed to the land of the damned. Is this a hiding spot for Starfleet's mistakes? Are they actually headed to a paradise planet, or is this ship the farm? There's talk of mutiny, and Boimler reports it immediately. The medical man rages out, breaking his desk and brandishing a phaser rifle. Boim's is the rat! They get the rat to an airlock, but opening it reveals they are at the idyllic The Farm. Tendi says goodbye to the dog, which turns out to be a sentient creature who speaks and enjoys urinating on things and flying over things. Isn't that what normal dogs do anyway? Oopsie. Earlier on the bridge, Mariner sees the babysitter captain, and it's Amina, her academy pal. That's right, one's a captain, one's an ensign. Still, Amina wants Mariner's rough-and-tumble, boots-on-the-ground, shoot-from-the-hip perspective as a temporary number one. They're headed down to Bog Planet in Starfleet issue Waiters, and it's clear that Mariner is more screw-up than contrarian. She's headed the wrong way, then she's forgotten the tricorders that would help with the core water filtration mission. The Cerritos warps to the Rubido, evidently deeply damaged due to a power outage. The command crew beams over, with Mariner continuing to screw up even basic things like magnetic boots. It's a space mystery, and Amina's disappointed in her old friend. They find the Rubido crew with its captain saying there's a large creature and they're inside it and it feeds on electricity. Unbeknownst, Amina's crew restarts the power and the creature is growing, smashing carters, etc. Mariner steps up in the chaos and Amina figures out that Mariner is taking a dive. It's revealed that Mariner was thought to be the first captain in the graduating class with the best grades and the best friendship. As the alien tears apart the ship, Mariner calls Rutherford. Use your fancy transporter ASAP to save all. He does, despite a hull breach, and all are saved. And shimmering, but it'll be okay. Less okay is the Rubino, which is overtaken by by what we can all say is a Farpoint alien. It's a reminder that Space Explorer is a great gig, and the door is still open for Mariner, if she ever wants to turn things around. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, with that incoming threat analysis, let's start with the dog. I want a the dog. 
you know, it's a really fun character. Once again, it's an opportunity for the storytellers to lean into animation because you have these, obviously, these weird things that are scary for a moment, then gone the next. And I think because they didn't look fully 3D, you know, Jurassic Park rendering when they were scary, well, when the dog was scary, you can kind of snap back and get get some of the dark humor there. Uh, great character. And now that we know that the dog is sentient, maybe a returning character one day. Yeah, I would hope perhaps like a badgie that we really want to see back, uh, that we would see the dog again. I love that there's this mix of what Tendi thinks a dog is, what we know a dog is through Rutherford, um, the the joke that, uh, well, it's just a normal dog. She's messing with us. And then the Thing-esque uh, transformation that it goes through and Spider climbs onto the ceiling. Later, the, the eyeballs turning into bats and leaving its mouth, transforming into a metal cube. <laughs> okay. And then, you know, they, they leave you on the fields with the, the cute voice and, you know, levitating at the farm. Uh, we also have as a threat of sorts, Captain Amina Ramsey. Uh, and I think here Amina is used in the best way possible, which is not just for mission of the week and things like that, but to continue with this question of why is Mariner such a disappointment, quite frankly. I have to give uh, showrunner Mike McMahon and the writer's room complete props here. The conflict, the central conflict for uh, Beckett Mariner of um, promotion, of advancement, of making the most of her potential has been really, really well handled throughout this season we saw it before she gets the promotion it's a drag she doesn't want to do all these other things and especially hang out with her mom and the bridge officers and then here great old friend shows up who's made captain everybody thought mariner would be a captain by now which imagine that uh you know mother daughter captains in the fleet matt i mean that you, you couldn't make that up and it might seem even, uh, you know, not believable. Uh, but she, she just, she's not ready for it. She doesn't want it. She's tanking her performance and the pressure exerted by this good friend who's made captain, by the way, uh, captain Ramsey, let's see more of her and she's awesome. Oh, very, very awesome. Indeed. Uh, we also have, uh, to my eyes, the the debut of Division 14 as this, you know, I mean, clearly echoes of Section 31, just in mm-hmm. terms of how the name was constructed. And I think we're immediately meant to say, well, what is that? And honestly, I like that they go, no, it's not the time thing. You know, it's not Section 31. Division 14 is also not the time thing. This is the Section uh, 31 and Time Bureau of Medical Stuff, which leads into the medical specialist who goes unnamed which is a great villain i think here we've talked about it before how the show will sometimes lean into animation in terms of not just the visuals but storytelling you know he's a creepy villain until it needs to be pulled back and that's kind of the the humor end of the show where it's slightly less real world realistic and it's just leaning into well you believe one thing because it's presented that way then when they stop you stop it's amazing in 54 years of Star Trek, there's never been this unsolvable space illness science mystery unit that's now been established. Uh, if, when, Matt, McCoy, or the other unseen medical officer on Strange New Worlds shows up, can we like have him come over from division 14 or bring that stuff into it i love how they're building out the world we thought we've known all these 54 years well that's just it it suits the core portion of the story here but then you add to it like a it makes sense uh, particularly with all this you know it's an alien horse bite that turned the the guy half old and half young and all that um it makes sense. And you kind of go, huh, how have I not thought of that in 54 years? So as you say, it's building out the world in a really uh, rewarding way. The uh, Starfleet accidents 
that have taken up residence on the Division 14 ship, the Osler, um, loaded with Easter eggs, loaded with interest. Yeah, I mean, and I think the best the best loved one for me was the uh, beep beep chair uh, lady. Uh, and then, of course, she has her own little little arc later on when they're planting uh, planning the rebellion. Uh, she's chanting along beep beep beep. Uh, and then, you know, at the end, she now has uh, fellow. Uh, I mean, to call it a wheelchair isn't quite accurate, but that's the best the best I have, you know, but she she has she has fellow victims in a similar state as well. Uh, both, I believe, in Hawaiian shirts draped over the the all encompassing wheelchair there. So it's just it's it's fun stuff. Let's talk about the energy aliens, Matt. Not a deep cut reference, you know, seen in the next generation pilots encounter at Farpoint. But to bring them back after all these years, to have them inhabiting the uh, Rubido um, and the sense of wonder there at the end of the episode, nice touch. It really, really was. Um, it also, I think there's the story benefit of it gives you a last third, at least of that storyline, a last third um, baddie a last third you know kind of forced to fight against uh but then you also have like oh well it's just a growing alien thing that it's actually not you know in opposition to to starfleet and whatnot and i mean it just it just it got me in the feels pete to say you know here they are again to my mind they're clearly the far point aliens i know you know some people are like well it's not exactly the same because of the tentacles or whatever Okay, Star Trek fans, I get it. I get that we need to debate. Well, the fact that Geordi's cuffs are different at the end of yesterday's Enterprise, does that suggest that there's a different alternate reality? Or, yeah, maybe it was just a that that was a costume mistake. Maybe in, in this episode of Lower Decks, it's just they streamlined the animation or went with a different artistic choice, whatever it might be. But it was it was a really, really nice way to conclude the episode. Pete, it's not just giant tentacle alien creatures being uh, sensed by our long-range sensors. Let's talk some theories. The one I would like to start with is one that we've talked about before, but increasingly the show is building a resume to want to get to some more clarification here. What is it that happened to Mariner that she went from first to worst in her in her cohort? Uh, I mean, is it said that she went to worst. I don't know that that's been explicit that, uh, Ramsey says we all expected you to be the first captain and she's still an ensign. Okay. Um, I think again, it's the, the mother complex. Your, your mom is a captain. You're now serving on the same ship. It remains unclear. You know, we talk all the time, on a number of our podcasts of negative um, exposition through dialogue, that a, a line here would clarify something in a way that needs to be. Here, I really enjoy that they continue to build, do people even know that Captain Freeman has Beckett Mariner as a daughter? The The names are different. We don't even know if Mariner is the... Uh, surname of the unnamed, um, I think it was an admiral, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Um, that, that is the husband. Um, so that uh, Amina Ramsey doesn't say, wow, it's kind of weird to be in your mom's ready room here while she's wearing the black stealth outfits that have been seen on Picard and Crusher and Worf in, you know, one episode that we're going to do apparently in back-to-back -back episodes here. I love that they're leaning in on that. Um, makes me wonder how well it's known. I mean, I feel like increasingly there's evidence that it is not known at all. We, we've discussed that in the past. For example, uh, Commander Ransom being rather flippant uh, with regard to uh, to mariner uh in front of the captain 
Um, My hope is for the remaining three episodes that this is something that does get addressed and we can look back and see that there's been a bit of an arc. Uh, My hope is that even though this is not a complex mystery box, you know, lost Westworld, J.J. Abrams kind of kind of joint here. Although, Pete, there are the theories that J.J. Abrams actually runs all Star Trek and Star Wars. Um, But. You know, this is not a highly Let, complex. Let's just clarify that for someone who might not have detected the sarcasm or the the feigned mouth breathing in your voice. Yes, J.J. Uh, Abrams does not play a role in uh, the the current state of Star Trek. Um, but just this idea that there's the the idea that we've had enough breadcrumbs along the way where I think it's more than throwaway background stuff you know there are no dogs on orion okay that explains the dog thing in this episode and that's an interesting fact i think that we are meant to be having these questions nobody expected the mom daughter twist at the end of the first episode and i think that we're meant to have these questions i think that we would be well served to have some kind of answer uh, or or be addressed further um, not just on the ship, but, you know, again, my heart goes out to Mariner. I don't know why she is this way. Uh, Amina is here to point out it's it's gone beyond cute. I mean, it's cute kind of episode to episode as I sit there and, and, and relax and watch my Star Trek cartoon. But it's now no longer cute that she's the badass. It's There's something up here where she chooses to fail and fail. And as you said, Pete, chooses to not maximize her potential. I have to wonder how much of an arc of advancement would be allowable though on a show called lower decks. (laughs) I mean, could it end with permanent promotions? I guess, you know, the four of them becoming bridge crew or getting commands or whatever, but you know, it's the premise of the show that they're not the frontline people. These are the people that, clean the toilets and fix the Jeffries tubes and all that. And while we've seen that kind of stuff go on in all these other shows of Star Trek to focus just on them. And that's where I said it, it's completely believable. This seeming diswant or perhaps more psychologically fear of success that Beckett Mariner has is really compelling. Yes, it's a show about new officers who clean the toilets, but if they didn't want to inject this mystery into Mariner, it could have just been, hey, everybody's a newbie here, Um, and everybody wants out of it. Everybody wants their own room. Everybody wants the second pip. Everybody wants the better um, replicator and things of that sort, so again, there's kind of this, this quiet central mystery baked into the whole premise. And that's where I think this show has been, you know, given a really bad rap by some people. They think that this is the there's this perception out there that this is the burp and fart version of Star Trek when it's not. They have not gone for the low hanging fruit in nearly every comedic choice. And that's really been appreciated, I think, by the people who have given it a chance as viewers instead of the morons that, Oh, Rick and Morty in my star Trek. Why would you take one of the most popular animated things that's really well done right now and jam it up and inject some kind of new life into star Trek. By the way, there's too much action in star Trek movies now they need to have more monolithic 10-minute discussions about the nature of the cosmos. Well, Pete, I'll, I'll take for the next three weeks what we've been getting so far. What other theories are on your sensors? So one of my favorite constructions to Star Trek episodes is the, the mission that is beginning an episode, that they are in the midst of it. Um, and I love the shift on that in this episode. They're out of breath. They are tired. Rutherford's uniform is ripped 
as they've just, uh, you know, repaired some station grid and done all this running. And that's all that we have. So I can only imagine the misadventure they've just had. Yeah, I think from a storytelling point of view, it's great to know that there's, if not significant story, then story nonetheless happening uh, in between each each you know e- each week. Uh, I know there was a reference a few episodes ago how like oh on other ships it might have even been the Enterprise, but on other ships they seem to have those crazy adventures each week. You know things of that sort. So. It is. It just breathes life into it. I had noticed kind of in passing on the first view and then on the second view, like, oh, man, Rutherford's going to bed with a ripped uniform. What's up with that? And again, it's just adding to the to the breadth of the world that they're in. And apparently you sleep in your uniform in these common bunk areas, as opposed to when you when you rank up and get a room, you get the monochromatic sleepy clothes or if you're Riker you get like diagonal stripes <laughs> ah fashion what a fickle thing <laughs> Pete maybe we need to do our own uh you know new segment Star Trek fashion we'll we'll stick a pin in that for now but it's something to consider yeah um again the attention to detail to Star Trek canon that Jellico is immortalized as babysitter captain, you know, maybe the greatest substitute teacher in all of Starfleet. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the shout out was nice, but it was also a way to hammer home a notion that I guess I hadn't considered before, but usually on the show, they don't need to go that way, which is the idea of if if senior command crew members are called away, okay, it's not appropriate to have you know, I don't know. I don't know who we've seen. Uh, Chief Engineer Billups, would he now be in command? I mean, if there was some sort of space illness, I guess he could step up. But if you're going to plan for that, well, he's engineering, he's not command. So the idea of the temporary captain is one that makes sense. I kind of, it's it's not quite canonical, but in my head, Amina on her way up, fine, maybe she hasn't been given command of, you know, the, the Enterprise f or the greatest whatever but her job you know yes rank of captain but her job is to kind of perform these administrative duties to put in her time as a part-time ship's captain uh before one can assume perhaps being given uh a a modest command of her own so it kind of has a it, it is a ladder to climb your way up uh even within the rank of captain to me it just makes sense i don't know if it has real relation to you know, to, to actual Navy protocol and things like that. But within the world of the episode, it makes a ton of sense. Are bog planets the worst planets? Um, no, I think that the sand planets, your Seti Alpha 6s, your Seti Alpha 5s, I think those are worse. Um, just because, you know, Pete, sand, it can get everywhere. Uh, versus, <laughs> you know... Peanut butter and your chocolate there. Be careful, Anakin. Well, well hey, um, I, I feel like as a non-bog planet person, if I needed to live on a bog planet, presumably at least my habitat could be something that was dry. You know, imagining kind of yeah. those pods in Antarctica, that sort of thing. So uh, bog planets, second worst, because though this is not fart trek, uh, bog planets probably do smell like farts. The transporter accident trope goes back to early early star trek uh love the the noise that accompanies the out of phase of of boimler and later the rest of the crew and then of course because it's super annoying that wears off first yet the the ghost uh you know blue hologram uh thing kind of stays for the rest of the time and, you know, we've spoken in the past how tightly constructed these episodes are, though it is only 22 or 23 minutes of animated comedy. Um, and though it's not mystery box level complexity here, what do you have in this transporter accident? You have something that separates, I almost hesitate to call it A story and B story because they're both compelling, but the Boimler story and the Mariner story, what separates them is the transporter accident, gets us onto the whole medical thing. Uh, the ultimate solution for Boimler is he just needed to wait it out, which is the immediate solution, or maybe not the immediate, it is the ultimate solution for the other problem, which is they need to beam out, they need to do it quickly. Rutherford's 
uh, transporter, albeit with the accident, gets that job done. And we now already know to turn off the the sonic part is going to be easy enough. And then our everybody just hang out in this in this Dr. Manhattan form for a little bit until the blue wears off and then you're fine. The farm on endochromium five here, Matt, my biggest uh, issue with the episode, we had a, the farm in Battlestar Galactica where there were experiments done here. Um, Might we've come up with a different name for it, I guess. Well, to me, in two words, it suggests, you know, it suggests that mythic agrarian spot. You know, it's not it's not the hard labors of farming. It's just it's the farm where there's horses and, and butterflies and the pond out back. I think the name is evocative. I don't think that Star Trek made a mistake by using the name when Battlestar Galactica did back in 2004. Uh, I think it's all fair. And I think in an episode, in, in a half a half an episode that is focusing on the tension of is the farm what it says or isn't it? It's that handy, uh, that handy shorthand to give you one image, then play against it while they're on the ostler, and then to confirm it once you actually get there. We pointed some of them out before, but the captain's trinkets in uh, Freeman's ready room there, some more of them glimpsed. There's a samurai helmet that uh, her daughter puts. It's either a police hat or maybe like a, a captain's hat from uh, the 18th century, like a seafaring captain's hat. She's got the sexton that she's using. There seem to be some other strange things there, though. There's the pineapple that's kept in like a floating uh, suspension area. There seem to be hot sauces in little boxes and then what seems to be a Gorn action figure as well. To me, it makes sense. Uh, I don't know, perhaps cubicle life, office life has changed um, prior to you know my time as being a professional. I don't know. But Picard's ready room made sense to have what? It was the one picture of the ship he was on in case he ever <laughs> forgot where he was. The model of the ship he used to have. And I think that that was originally a Constitution class that got changed around once they had a Stargazer model, which was originally going to be Constitution class and blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's the Shakespeare because Jean-Luc Picard from the vineyards in France loves <laughs> Shakespeare, just like Patrick Stewart. You know, then there's the fish. And I think in retrospect. And the strange corner window. That too. I think, you know, f- of the time tv tv you know when it was tv in a square as opposed to widescreen hd that all made sense fast forward to now and yes this is animated but i think everybody in tv and film production is now spending more time thinking of how do you really fill out that space not just in terms of the small viewfinder of the camera but how do you really have it be lived in and it's you know, it's especially easy in animation where you can just say, well, we're going to do a pineapple background. I don't know what the story is, but we're going to put it there, you know, versus say, I know Discovery had like books in the background and they were actually books that were, you know, classic Trek episode titles that you're probably never going to see. But here, I don't know what there is in in Freeman's character Bible to say the pineapple adventure and the hot sauce adventure and things like that. I don't know if it's that spelled out or if it's just great i love this conceptual stuff let's go for it we'll figure out what it means later on but it makes her a stronger character i love that ransom's reputation extends beyond the cerritos as a dog and that ramsey hands it to him at the end of the episode yeah i think that i mean a it's appropriate in terms of here he is trying to be mr macho and and gets taken down a notch um, and I think that's completely fitting and fun. Also, I'm glad you bring this up, and I want to choose my words carefully. In the world of the 24th century, I think that they have figured out. I mean, obviously, they're kind of more open in terms of physicality and sensuality and whatnot. And the apparent idea that that uh, Ransom as a superior may have, uh, shall we say, been seen by Mariner of a lower rank. I think, again, in the 21st century workplace, uh, e- even if it's 
you know, after work or whatever, there's, there's all sorts of issues that are real and, and I'm not trying to downplay, but I think the show suggesting in the 24th century, you can be fully professional at work. Meanwhile, maybe has there been, no, there hasn't been a, well, we are kind of interested in the photon torpedo regardless. And, and to me that I'm not saying like, Pete, I can't wait till we get to the Star Trek world where you can, you know, canoodle with, uh, with female coworkers willy nilly. I think it's the Star Trek lesson of it's not willy nilly. They figured out how to keep the private private and the professional professional. And I think it has it in a way that's palatable that two women can talk about. Have, have you seen this guy? But then at the end of the episode, she can toss him into a table when there's an unwanted advance. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's empowering on both ends. It's empowering for Amina and, and Mariner in just saying, Hey, we got interests. It's, you could feel free to have interests. And then at the end, you could say, don't be fresh you. Otherwise, you know, we're using you to break a table. Procedural question, Matt, babysitter. Number one here, Beckett Mariner does not get uh, added pips yet. Is the babysitter commanding officer? I would imagine that the rest of uh, the rest of Amina's crew, the three of them, probably were not thrilled by that little experiment. Um, and I suppose at the end of the day, you go, "Well, the boss made the decision. I'm confused why this person is still an ensign. Um, maybe if there was going to be a turn the chair around, Jonathan Frake sitting on the chair backwards, Star Trek lesson." Uh, had it gone the way Amina planned, it would have been rank isn't always everything or you need to look for the hidden potential in people. Sometimes you need somebody who's going to tell you, uh, no, this is a bad idea. You know, you need that contrarian. You need that, you know, you need that person who's not completely in step with everybody else to give you different options. So I think there's that attempt there. But, you know, I think the temporary rank of number one, you know, it's kind of similar to, you know, the tradition which Star Trek has used less. I think it did it a bit more in Deep Space Nine, but you know, whoever is in command on the bridge has the, the title of captain, if not the rank of it. Um, so I think there's a little hint of it there in terms of procedure, even though it was all just ultimately a job experiment. We have the Edosian medical officer leading the, uh, the Osler, the Division 14 vessel there. Uh, like the animated series character, Eric's, uh, with the three arms, the three legs. Um, I had previously believed that on the bridge of the Kelvin, that there was an adosion. Apparently, that character, though it bears striking resemblance, is not adosion. You know, I thought the same thing, and I went to Memory Alpha looking up the Edosians. We did the same thing, not even knowing we did the same yeah. thing. Um, so I need to do further digging. I think that, I think, Pete, as I recall, the answer might be that that character was never shown wide enough. Like, maybe the face wasn't fully in the animated series style, and they never had a wide shot in that final edit to show the three arms and to show that it was meant to be the real world interpretation of that. Um, but I'm going to have to go back and look. Cause I mean, I was, I was definitely confused. Borg smell like old trash bags. No one's ever talked about. Um, makes sense to me. I mean, all that, all that kind of plasticine leather, whatever it is that they wear. It's obviously not, you know, cows, calf skin or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, I, it would kind of make sense. I imagine on a certain level, the Borg are kind of slowly rotting or maybe, you know, the skin, they're, they're not taking nice, you know, uh, sonic showers to make sure that that uh, you, you whatever it is for the beauty stuff where you get rid of your top layer of dead skin. I don't know what that's called. I guess maybe I'm not doing it enough. But um, so, yeah, it makes sense to me. It's a fun little detail that makes sense to me. A detail that I know we're going to see at some point are the Starfleet issue waiters i know we'll see that at cosplay uh at some of these conventions when we can have things again yeah that'll be a fun that'll be a fun cosplay i feel like that's something you're gonna see pictures of that 
at uh, at STLV, maybe not your standard kind of all-purpose convention, um, although I wouldn't rule it out. But I think definitely, I could definitely see now, you know, the picture of like, I don't know, the, the picture of the, the the lobby at STLV. There's, there's all the banners of whatever the latest show is, and then there's somebody there with you know with with the waiters and the and the badge and whatnot. So Freeman, Shax, and Ransom called away on this mission in caves in the stealth uniforms. Might have to plant some seeds. But Ransom is seen when uh, Freeman contacts the ship, lifting weights, as we've seen him pantomiming at other times. So again, the obsession with his physique. But it almost feels, Matt, with the lack of on-screen urgency, like this is a secret leadership uh, vacation or retreat. (laughs) Um. And I guess it could go either way because of the nature of uh, of Lower Decks as a show. You know, maybe it's just a constraint to uh, to not a constraint, a construct rather, just to get them off the show to tell the story. And if we're going to lean into, and it's the world's dumbest secret mission, then you get a little, you know, da da da. That that's funny. Um, maybe it's something they returned back to where it was cooked up or or whatever it might be. Um, I, I like living in this world where the show the show doesn't know that it's animated, so it presents things, the characters in it, the overall tone of it presents things earnestly, but then we see things that are obvious jokes or we see things that are meant to be contrasts that you excuse away because it's animated. The next generation later movie uniform, also the Deep Space Nine later uniform show up the uh, the one ensign who's both advanced aging and uh, reverse aging is wearing one. Uh, so obviously he's been there the longest. It's a really cute nod. It is, and I think um, I think story wise, it's meant to suggest that he's been there for quite some time, which is obviously also backed up in dialogue. Um, I, I think increasingly the because we're in uh, twenty three eighty. Uh, as Lower Decks, you know, with the season of Lower Decks, I think there's just kind of increasing evidence that these uniforms are a 2379 or 2380 debut, uh, which of course is funny because then in two years they get replaced by the Picard era ones that we saw in flashback. So as I think I've said before, I know I put it out on Twitter, if you were an ensign in 2364, which is the year that the Enterprise D launched, uh, and you're still in Starfleet, uh, now, um, then you will have gone through like a let's see, you will have gone through the original Next Generation Latex, the Next Generation Wool, then Deep Space Nine era coloring, then Next Generation Movie era coloring, and then now uh, Lower Decks, and then in two years' time Picard era. So by my count, that's six uniforms <laughs> in the course of your career, you know, th- twenty-five year career, which is just insane. And makes no sense because it is the it is the opposite of uniform to keep changing. I guess right. you know they're all dressing the same, so it's uniform in that sense. But it's that it's the nature of TV. Ensign Jenna is but the latest Matt to suffer a, a crippling Delta radiation accident. So Pike started this. At least two other male uh, Starfleet personnel have suffered this. And wind up in in the old beepy chair. Pete, uh, can you tell me by way of beep? Are you pro uh, improving uh, shielding for delta radiation, or are you against it? Beep beep beep. <laughs> uh oh, wait! <laughs> I don't know which option that was. Uh, do you have any other theories? Uh, Ellis and Sanderson. Of course, we had to have some more transporter accident people on the Osler because that makes up like half of the Starfleet accidents with almost two of everything. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what they are sharing, but I guess I, that's... Come on, that was clearly a, a genitalia <laughs> reference without needing to, you know, uh, unlike the perception, the knock being that this show is crude, which it's not. I do like how casual they are about it. Um, clearly, they've come to some sort of understanding, and they're just they're just doing their best to deal with it until they get to a solution. 
Anthony, the Voyager catfish thing. Okay. Uh, the, the Voyager episode threshold where Paris breaks the, the warp 10 barrier, like Chuck Yeager and somehow devolves into a fish thing, abducts Janeway. They mate and have three offspring is Anthony one of those offspring have we seen our first relative of a legacy character on the show uh i sure hope not because that's not a great episode with not a great <laughs> end point there i think you know this you know uh, is he you know was he a man i don't know uh, i think some things like that episode of voyager are perhaps best left forgotten there's another alien that his head resembles the uh mcdonald's pitch creation mac the knife played by doug jones in the 80s uh commander seru from discovery um one of his first gigs in hollywood and i really hope somebody was like all right we gotta fill this room with with creatures what else all right we can have one whose head is kind of like you know turning into to bits another uh it's clearly an upside down whistle and then this thing yeah, I mean the amount of the amount of fun stuff in the background, you know, there's like giant rock face guy. He's just entirely a giant rock that has a face. There's Duck Bill guy. Um was this perhaps a nod to 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 Doug Jones? One can certainly hope. The uh Rubido as screw ups and the captain that they have that uh Ramsey is continually rescuing is a pretty fun trope as well. Pete, as per star dates, we are about 70% through the, the, the calendar year uh, on Lower Decks. In that year, uh, pardon me, in that 70% of the year, uh, the Cerritos has now shown up at two ships that get lost, uh, all hands saved, but the ships themselves are lost. Um, obviously, primarily, that's just a function of the plot, but uh, I don't want to be on the next ship that the Cerritos comes to help out because it might be destroyed. Are there lower decks than the Cerritos? You know, we've painted this ship, this crew as the B team. Apparently, there's worse vessels to be on. There's got to be worse vessels, but they're still better than Starbase 80. Damn! <laughs> More like Starbase number one. Matt are the people of patreon.com slash fantastic geek who keep our Jeffrey's tubes a humming. Indeed, Pete, we have the energy needs of those, uh, uh, of our central warp core. And so glad that, you know, we're talking bandwidth, we're talking storage. So glad to be listener supported, particularly as we ramp up, not just to finish lower decks, I'll be turning the corner for Star Trek Discovery in a handful of weeks. And then a little bit beyond that, we'll be doing Star Wars and Star Trek concurrently. Couldn't get any better than that. Oh, wait, there's a Marvel Disney Plus show coming in December and the fate of Black Widow still unknown. But all of it made possible by those who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of tiers to choose from. Can't contribute this month? Head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Takes a second. Leave us a review. Takes us a, takes you a little bit longer, but all are appreciated. With that, Pete, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We start, as we so oftentimes do, uh, do with our Star Trek Lower Decks poll, which has the following votes, Pete. Ensign Shimmer and Shine, 0%. Lieutenant Rockhead, 0%. Commander Torpedo, 20%. And Captain Babysitter, 80%. Certainly this episode flying high here. Uh, a couple of comments. First one from James. It's at Big Killin. Great episode. Bechdel Test has a new bar. Trying to remember seeing two women of color besties in sci-fi. Uh, and I think his observation there is a fantastic one. Uh, we also heard from JT Atkins, uh, who had sent in poll results before I posted them. I'm going to try and do better in the future. He says, I stand my, by my earlier review of four lost tricorders. Uh, <laughs> but the sentiment is the, great sa is the same great episode. The comedy is a lot of fun, but they are also doing a tremendous job of making the story slash adventure aspect of the episodes interesting as well. 
really feels that the show continues to find ways to better itself with each passing episode. I mean, I can only think of like one episode that I haven't asked myself after the uh, show, you know, was, was this the best one yet? Yeah. It continues to fly high. Uh, Pete, last week we had discussed some tweets from one of these, you know, fringe people where Star Trek is out to scare them and whatnot. And we heard in response to that discussion, we heard from Adam on Twitter. That's A D R O S four seven. So there's your Star Trek cred right there. And Adam says as follows. Hi, guys. Love your podcasts. Concerning Lower Decks, you're giving too much air to the naysayers. Please ignore them. I love your commentary on the show, not your meta review of kids' Twitter comments. So, Pete, uh, I had replied and said, you know what? Maybe, you know, I think we're trying to be Star Trek open to have the discussion, okay, To, to, to make the Klingons our allies, to make the Andorians as part of some sort of alliance. But you know what, Pete? Sometimes you need a neutral zone. Sometimes the Romulans are on the other side of it. Uh, and uh, Pete, I, I hear Adam's point. Maybe in the future we're going to make sure that that neutral zone gets uh, gets obeyed a bit more. It is a conversation we have behind the scenes. I think inherently because this remains somehow a discussion in Star Trek, to my mind, more so than it had been in the past. I think that's a function of the times we're living in right now, but it, it's definitely something we we think about and talk about. Uh, continuing the discussion here of Mariner and her past, uh, we heard again from Annie Harrington. That's Annie Time Left, Time with a Y. Uh, she says about this episode, based on this week's episode, it seems like Mariner is older than Boimler assumes. If, some, uh, if someone she went to the Academy with is a captain now. But I don't think that she's a time traveler or anything supernatural. I think she probably just comes off younger than she is. Intentionally, question mark. Um, and then I had said, you know, I'm increasingly convinced that we're going to get a bittersweet something to explain why Mariner is badass but self-destructive. Uh, and then Pete, making all our Twitter comments circular here, uh, James, uh, that's at Big Killen, had replied, weird and still forming a theory. She and her mother are somehow two halves of the same person. Transporter accident that split them up and sent them to different times. Mariner seems like she's seen everything before. Maybe she has. That's a really interesting theory. Um, it'd be... I think it'd be something to pull off. Uh, but this latest incarnation of Trek, and I mean that, Discovery, Picard, now Lower Decks. The serial model of TV, a la A Game of Thrones, that they've embraced in particular with long-term mysteries. You think back to Vogue. You think back to um, uh, Mirror Universe Lorca. Uh, Red Angel in the second season of Discovery and then, uh, you know, with Picard, all the fun we had with the uh, holograms all over the uh, La Serena. Uh, is the captain really one of them as well? And I, I love that they're baking this into Star Trek to to chew over. That's really of the time in terms of storytelling that was not a thing in 80s 90s you know early aughts tv to bake a, a mystery that people would continue to come back to with the one asterisk of next generation tried the the episode conspiracy in the first season yeah, with the yeah. bug eaters they try you know that message gets out and that was meant to be well not only that if if i may several episodes before it is established we're having a hard time getting in touch with starfleet command we're hearing about some funny stuff with star starfleet command they were all building up to that episode then with the idea that that would be their series long threat and instead it later became the borg yeah because the borg were cheaper than than bug people but so it's like they wanted to do it. They couldn't quite do it. But yeah, I think, Pete, I hadn't quite thought of it as all of these shows have that built in uh, to some degree. But indeed they do. And that's just uh, that's just part of what they serve up now for modern TV. 
So now, Pete, this is an episode that had uh, the the unnamed Edosian uh, medical professional, a wise, handsome man with an imposing voice. Pete, speaking of wise, imposing medical men, let's now hear from our very own doctor, the Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 7. When Captain Ramsey walked in, my first impression she was a sister or half-sister of Mariner, and also a daughter of Captain Freeman. But they proved to be just buddies from the Academy. And it also proves that Mariner is not that bad at all. Actually, she was kind of top of her class, because Ramsey said, we were expecting you would be the first captain of us all. And even the Vulcan says, why are you just an ensign? So there is something very weird in Mariner's psychology, because under stress, she really functions as a good officer. Or is it an officer? Or is it just a Federation person? And that is what she is, and not so much Starfleet. Though the Starfleet philosophy, but not really Starfleet. Perhaps she would do better without a uniform and without ranks. Or is the point that she can't escape her upbringing, being a daughter of an admiral and a captain, whereas she actually wants that. And again, as always, I didn't like the Tendi story so much with the crazy dog. What I did like, of course, is the pad at the beginning with the big symbol of DNA on it. Okay, that was all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, some great points as always there from the Admiral. Interesting insight there. Perhaps the source of Mariner's problem is psychological, and I love that he contrasted that with the fact that time and time again, she's great under pressure. Yeah, when you don't think about it. And I I think, again, that's true-to-life storytelling, which on an animated show makes this even uh you know more believable the aspect of uh mariner uh being better off outside of starfleet i mean i can understand making the point but we're telling a a a star trek uh starship set story i'm not quite sure how you would have her on there not a member of starfleet We've seen Picard have non-Starfleet officers, former Starfleet officers on that show, the, the most different of any of the live action shows. Well, I think I, I have two thoughts. First is I don't know that Fred was proposing that the story should explore Mariner leaving Starfleet, just that perhaps she as a she as a quote unquote real character might be better off outside oh, I of got, those. I, I got it. I, how, how do we how do we have that, though? Um, well, I have one idea. Maybe that's your series finale. You know, I mean, I don't know what aim. I don't know when you're making an, a half hour animated, you know, teen tween adult skewing kind of show. I don't know what expectations you have. Um, whether you're Family Guy, Simpsons, Rick and Morty, whatever, you're you know King of the Hill. You're probably not thinking that you're going to run as long as those shows have. Um, but maybe just tucked away in the binder is, you know. Hey, if we go three seasons, great. And if we get canceled, you know what? Mariner's leaving Starfleet to go pursue her interest in blank that we'll figure out. But the, the big solution is she needs to leave the organization. And Pete, one more uh, thing that Fred had noted here, not a fan of the dog. So Pete, I wonder what kind of pets does Admiral Fred have if he's not a dog fan? Maybe he'll have to let us know in the future. Well, I would think, uh, yeah, he mentioned the DNA. Here's a creature that's been made through DNA. Perhaps this is the way for Fred to get into dogs. Well, Pete, there's so many ensigns and so few admirals. How can people rank up and be like Admiral Fred? How can people talk to you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,000. 560 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter is looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait there's more 
facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph one word like it today if you're listening on the pop culture podcast feed monday ish we're going to give you uh a mandalorian update we're going to give you a marvel update lay the land for marvel uh if you're here just for star trek we will be back next saturday to talk episode 108 with that pete i will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word do not trouble yourself with the journey. The farm cures all. 